can turn with me to Psalm chapter 106. It's where we'll begin this morning. A few years ago, I stumbled across an author named Paul Brand. Uh, Dr. Brand was a missionary doctor in India many years ago, and his uh, specialization, his focus was on leprosy patients. He wrote several books. Uh, the favorite of mine is called In His Image. In it, he, he describes the, the, the human body and different systems within the human body, and he uses that the physical description to uh, make a spiritual point, to draw analogies and uh, worship from the physical body. So I want you to listen to this uh, colorful description of the circulatory system from Dr. Brand. He wrote, What the telescope does to nearby galaxies, the microscope does to a drop of blood. It unveils a staggering reality. A speck of blood the size of a letter O on a page contains 5 million red cells, 300,000 platelets, and 7,000 white cells. The fluid is actually an ocean stocked with living matter. Red cells alone, if removed from a single person and laid side by side, would carpet an area of 3,500 square yards. A view through a microscope clarifies the various components of blood, but gives no picture of the daily frenzy encountered by each cell. Red cells, for example, never sit motionless. From their first entrance into the bloodstream, they are pushed and shoved through rush hour traffic. Beginning the cycle at the heart, they take a short jaunt to the lungs to pick up a heavy load of oxygen. Immediately, they return to the heart, which propels them violently over the Niagara Falls of the aortic arch. From there, highways crowded with billions of red cells branch out to the brain, the limbs, and vital internal organs. 60,000 miles of blood vessels link every living cell. Even the blood vessels themselves are fed by blood vessels. Highways narrow down to one-lane roads, then bike paths, then footpaths, until finally the red cell must bow sideways and edge through a capillary one-tenth the diameter of a human hair. In such narrow confines, the cell is stripped of food and oxygen and loaded down with carbon dioxide and urea. From there, red cells rush to the kidneys for a thorough scrubbing, then back to the lungs for a refill, and the journey begins anew. This pell-mell journey, even to the extremity of the big toe, lasts a mere 20 seconds. An average red cell endures the cycle of loading and unloading and jostling through the body for a half million round trips over four months. In one final journey to the spleen, the battered cell is stripped bare by scavenger cells and recycled into new cells. 300 billion such red cells die and are replaced every day in your body. The components of this circulatory system cooperate to accomplish a single, simple goal, nourishing and cleansing each living cell. Isn't that amazing? And at the center of this remarkable system is this beautiful piece of machinery we call the human heart. Dr. Brand goes on and he says, this human heart, remarkable as it is, can be either healthy or it can become diseased. And certainly there are some things under our control of health or disease of our heart. There are other things that are outside of our control. There are genetic predispositions, but there are certain things we can control, right? We can control Diet and exercise. Right now, I, I do want to say uh, this is not your uh, annual post Thanksgiving guilt and shame message about what you just did to your body this last week. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is I want to draw an analogy between the physical heart and the spiritual heart, just as Dr. Brand does. 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon wrote, Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the spiritual life, the heart is the center of life. We usually think of the heart in terms of emotion, but it's much more than that spiritually. It is certainly the center of our affections, but also of our thinking, our reasoning, even our choices, our will, and our conscience all flow from the heart. And so Solomon wrote, guard your heart, protect your heart, choose health for your heart, because from your heart issue forth all of the springs of life. Everything that you do issues forth from the spring of life, which is your heart. What you say, what you do, what you think, what you feel. And you can make choices through which your heart becomes healthy or it becomes diseased. And I will tell you the single greatest practice that has given me a healthy heart, that is when I practice it, is gratitude. The most powerful spiritual practice in my life has been gratitude. When I'm doing really well spiritually, it's because I am practicing gratitude consistently. When I'm not doing well spiritually, I observe it's because I do not have a thankful heart. I literally try to make it a practice every morning when I wake up, first thing I do, to give thanks. To find something in my life for which I can give thanks. When I come back from the office at night, the day is over. Part of my detoxification from the world in which I live is to give thanks. It is the single most powerful spiritual practice for me. So I love talking about Thanksgiving. I love talking about gratitude. It is my favorite holiday. We have practices in our home. We sit around the Thanksgiving table and we give thanks. We go around the table and we talk about what we have to give thanks for. And we always as Christians have something we can give thanks for, don't we? That is Jesus. So let's start with the definition. What is Thanksgiving? What does it mean? In Greek, it comes from a verb, eucharisteo. You probably recognize that word, right? Eucharist. Eucharist. Uh, for centuries, the church has celebrated the Eucharist. We often call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. For centuries, it was called simply the Eucharist because it was a Thanksgiving meal, right? Every week, believers would set aside time to give thanks for Jesus. Ultimately, the object of our Thanksgiving and our gratitude as believers in Jesus Christ is Jesus. It's Jesus. This word actually comes from two words, compound word, prefix you, which means good, and charis, which means grace. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of the good grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ. As men and women, if we have nothing else, we have Jesus. We have forgiveness of sins and we have eternal life. If we have nothing else that we want or even think that we need, we have Jesus Christ. Eternity is taken care of. So no no matter what is happening to us in our daily existence, we can stop and give thanks because we have Jesus. Now, interestingly, when this verb is used uh, for the church, it's used in uh, regard to the church, it's used in the imperative form or as a command. In other words, giving thanks is choice. God never issues a command to us, but what we can respond in obedience and choose. Hey, let me give you one illustration. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for your life? Paul says, I'm, let me just make it really simple, I'll just put it in three commands. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. 
Now, I will tell you, there are certain days in my life where I read that and I say, you know, I think Paul just doesn't live in reality. Really? In everything, give thanks? But notice that he doesn't say, give thanks for everything, but give thanks in everything. In the midst of everything, you can give thanks. Paul was not unrealistic. Paul was definitely a realist. Paul was a man who had suffered deeply in his life. And yet in the midst of all that suffering, he could still give thanks because he had Jesus. Now let me illustrate. Uh, I asked you this question last year, so we'll see uh, who remembers the answer to my quiz. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody remember? Shortest verse in the Bible. Don't be bashful. You can call it out. What is it? (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's not. Uh, either um, you missed last Thanksgiving or you were asleep or something. Um, Jesus wept is not the shortest verse in the Bible. Rejoice always is the shortest verse in the Bible. Now I know I'm going to pull out like a little Greek voodoo here, which is not really exactly fair or whatever, but um, in Greek, Jesus wept is actually three words because Jesus' name has a direct or a definite article in front of it. I know it's not fair, but I'm just, don't even worry about the, the grammars. It's really irrelevant. I've got an illustration that I want to make from this. The two shortest verses in the Bible are these. Jesus wept and rejoice always. Does that strike you as strange at all? The two shortest verses in the Bible seem to be contradictory. Rejoice always and Jesus wept. Is it possible that Jesus was disobeying Paul, if he really cared, when he was weeping? Or could Jesus also be rejoicing in the midst of weeping? I, I, could, I would argue that he, he could actually do both. Remember the context of Jesus wept. Is that his very, very, very close friend Lazarus has died. And Jesus shows up on the scene after Lazarus has been dead for four days in the tomb. And he looks around and everyone else is weeping and wailing, including Martha and Mary, again, two of his very, very close friends. And Jesus looks out on the scene and it says, Jesus wept. But but why? Why did Jesus weep? Jesus knew that in a few moments, literally a few moments, he would have the tomb removed and Lazarus would come forth and Lazarus would be alive and everyone would then begin to rejoice. So why does Jesus weep? He weeps because he's looking at the consequences of sin, the devastating consequences of sin. That is death, pain, sorrow. And it it, it breaks his heart, even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then Lazarus is going to die. But then Lazarus is going to be raised again forever. And so Jesus could be both sorrowful and rejoicing, which is actually what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I did a funeral yesterday for a good friend of mine. He's 92 years old. And there was sorrow and there was joy. that's, That's how funerals go. There was sorrow that my, my friend is gone. He is with the Lord. He is not with us. There was joy because of the absolute confidence that he is with Jesus Christ. And all of his pain and all of his suffering are done. They're over forever. There's joy. There's sorrow and joy. Rejoice always. And Jesus wept. That is thanksgiving. Joy is a choice. Men and women, it's a choice. There will always be things in your life that you do not like. There will always be things in your life that you lack, that you long for, that you pray for. 
Thanksgiving is choosing to set your mind on what you have. It's not pretending that those other things don't exist. But it is choosing even in the midst of sorrow and even in the midst of longing for certain things that you set your mind on what God has given you. Even if all that you can think of is simply eternal life. That's something. Choose joy. Joy is a choice. It's an act of the will. I want you to read with me Exodus chapter 16. Beginning in verse 1, it says, On the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What's the opposite of thanksgiving? Uh, Grumbling, complaining, and forgetting. Grumbling, complaining, and forgetting. Here's the context. Israel has just been rescued out of Egypt and out of slavery. And now they've moved into the wilderness. And they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're tired. And so, rather than giving thanks for what God has done and what God can do and will do, they grumble and complain and whine. And this is what they said. Sons of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died in the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, they they needed a fact check, right? When they were in Egypt, what was their status? Slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. Did they have pots full of meat constantly? No, they did not. They may have eaten meat occasionally, but they were enslaved and they were hungry and they were oppressed and they were crying out, God, deliver us. And they had seen God's power, God's strength, God's deliverance rescuing them out of slavery in in dramatic fashion. They knew that God was able and they knew that God was good. But you know what happens when we are grumbling and complaining and we are not grateful and we forget. When we, when we allow ingratitude to dominate our hearts and our minds, we don't see reality. We don't see what God has actually provided. We forget. If you are a grumbling, complaining, whining person, besides the fact that you're not fun to be around, you are not seeing the reality of God's provision in your life. And that brings a dark cloud over your vision so that you cannot see the truth of God's provision for you. I want you to look with me in Psalm 106. If you haven't turned there, please do so now. Psalm 106. Let's read together in verse 6. Psalmist wrote, We have sinned, like our fathers. So in the same way that our fathers sinned, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers, this is how they sinned. In Egypt, they did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but instead they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness, and they tested God in the desert. They forgot. And what's interesting in Hebrew, the idea of forgetting is very different than in English. In English, we think, uh, you know, I I had something in my mind and it just slipped my mind. I I forgot. But in Hebrew, the idea is I displaced that memory, right? I pushed that memory out and I put something else in. In the wilderness, they pushed out the abundant, abundant kindness and provision of God and his power and they replaced it with what? 
their cravings, it says in Psalm 106, their cravings, their longings, things that they didn't have right then in that moment. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Legitimate needs? Absolutely. But in their lack, they doubted God's goodness and God's power, and they believed the lie. God has brought us into the wilderness to kill us. But God has said, no, I brought you into the wilderness to make you my people, to show you that you are my family, that I'm your father, that I love you. They believe Satan's lie because their minds had become clouded with what they didn't have. They focused their attention on what they didn't have. They forgot God. They displaced his goodness with their cravings. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord redeemed you. This phrase is actually repeated over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we forget. And the nature of forgetfulness in Hebrew is to displace the goodness of God. Gratitude is to actively set your mind on what God has provided. That is a choice. Second, giving thanks is a habit. The things that we choose to do, moment by moment, day in and day out, become habits. Choices become habits. Let me take you back to 1 Thessalonians again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. What's God's will for your life? This is God's will for your life. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. It's actually three quick commands, all of which are basically restating exactly the same proposition. Illustrated by the second one, pray without ceasing. That word for without ceasing uh, was used to describe a hacking cough. Just, it just keeps coming back, and I can't seem to get rid of it. It's not that you're continually praying, but you're praying without ceasing. Praying, and then praying and praying and praying, rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing, and giving thanks and giving thanks and giving thanks. It's, it's just habit, right? It's just habit. Remember when I was in high school, I had an English teacher who was a smoker. And uh, one day he came in and we discovered that he had stopped smoking. And so we had a class discussion about why he had stopped smoking. It wasn't a moral issue with him at all. He said, one day I went in a couple weeks back and I bought a pack of cigarettes and the price had jumped again. And I thought, man, that's a lot of money to pay for a pack of cigarettes. And I went home and I laid that pack of cigarettes on the kitchen table and I got out my calculator. And I'd been smoking a long time, been smoking since he was a teenager. And he calculated how much money he had spent on cigarettes through the years. And he added it all up and he realized with the money that he had spent on cigarettes, if he had just put that money into a, a savings account at 0% interest... He could have bought a Jaguar. And he said, and I always wanted a Jaguar. (laughs) And so he smoked that pack of cigarettes and never smoked again. So that was it. Because I wanted a Jaguar. See, this is true of habits. They can be destructive or they can be healthy. They can... uh, cause your heart to be diseased or they can create strength and vibrancy in your heart. For good or for bad, you make a little choice, a single choice in a given day, and then those choices add up and they become habit. And then habit forms into character. Character, that, that disposition of your mind and your heart, your emotions, your will, your conscience in a direction, who you are. I went to uh, the nursing home when I first moved back to uh, Texas or to College Station uh, many years ago. I went to the nursing home every week and did a chapel service for about two years, every year. 
And I discovered in the course of going to the nursing home that there were only two categories of people. There were those who were uh, bitter and angry and frustrated. And then there were those who were grateful. And their physical condition didn't correlate at all. Okay? There were those who were bitter and angry and frustrated and ungrateful. And they were really in pretty good shape relative to everybody else around them. And then there were those who were in terrible shape physically. And yet they were grateful and they were sweet to be with. Because by that point in time, character had been formed. By the little choices they had made day in and day out, that had become habit and had formed a character that was hardened and solid, either in gratitude or in bitterness and unthankfulness. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be that. I want to be that. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the, the, the cause and effect and the logical connections. Paul doesn't say, um, have no requests. Pretend you have everything that you want. Pretend there's nothing in your life that you don't like. He says, no. With Petition, prayer, ask, supplication, ask. But as you're asking, do it with thanksgiving. Okay, always with thanksgiving. And then the result is the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we pray and when we ask, and as we're asking, we're asking out of grateful hearts. That is, the, the character, the, the, what, what really drives and surrounds and embeds our minds is thankfulness for all that God has given. And in that context, we make our requests. Then in that context, you also get to enjoy God's peace, which surpasses really all all comprehension, doesn't really make sense. And it guards and protects your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there are added benefits to thankfulness. There's peace and there's joy. There's kindness and generosity and forgiveness. These are the things that flow only from a grateful heart. Cicero who once said, a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but it is the parent of all other virtues. I love that quote. Thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, it is the parent of all other virtues. I want you to look with me at one biblical illustration of this. Book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David is... um, setting aside resources for the construction of the temple. Verse 1, it says, Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord. Now with all of my ability, I have provided for the house of my God, The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stone, inlaid stones, stones of antimony, stones of various colors, and all the kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure of gold, the treasure that I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God over and above all that I've already provided for the holy temple, namely 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings. 
of gold for the things of gold, of silver for the things of silver. That is for all the work done by the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the rulers of the father's households, the princes of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work, they offered willingly. That is not out of compulsion, but out of grateful hearts. And for the service of the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of brass, 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said this, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should even be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given back to you. Isn't that beautiful? See, David didn't get all that he wanted. David wanted to build the temple to God and God said, no, no. In fact, that was the thing that David wanted to do more than anything in his life because David was a worshiper. David loved to, to, to play his harp and play instruments and write poetry and songs and to sing and to praise. That was David's favorite thing to do was to worship God. And so he wanted to build a temple so that all of Israel could come together and worship God. And God said, no. And rather than becoming bitter and angry or arguing with God, trying to convince God, no, God, you should, you should let me do it. Instead, he said, no, if I can't do it, then let me provide for the next generation so that they can worship and let me give all of my wealth to the worship of God. Why? Because he had a thankful heart. Because he acknowledged that everything he had came from God. Men and women, everything that you have comes from God. The body you have, the mind that you think with, breath you were given this morning, your house, your car, your job, your wealth, all of your treasures, all of your relationships, all of it is a gift from God. And in Hebrew, the word for thanksgiving is literally acknowledgement. Isn't that that interesting? It's just acknowledgement. To give thanks means we simply acknowledge what is true, that everything is from you. And what I hope you notice as we read that passage is that David's grateful heart flows over into the hearts of the people. Because gratitude is contagious. A lack of gratitude is contagious as well, isn't it? I've seen it in my home or in the office, in business, on teams. That attitude of gratitude and thankfulness or an attitude of complaining and bitterness and whining and frustration, either of those can affect others around you. David led his people well by expressing his gratitude toward God and it overflowed into the hearts of all of his people. And so they joyfully gave thanks. They gave thanks. They infected one another with gratitude. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do everything without grumbling or 
or arguing or disputing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. What's the opposite of thankfulness? Grumbling, complaining, and forgetting. Paul says, I want you to shine as lights in the world. How is it that you can be so very different from the crooked and perverse culture around you? Have a thankful heart. Because we live in a society that is discontent and is grumbling and complaining, right? There is no TTN, the thankfulness network, right? It just, it doesn't sell. There's, uh, now for more good news, right? I mean, right? It's, here's the next bad story. Here's the next thing that you should feel responsible for, but you can't do anything about it. And the next thing you should feel worried about and fret about or angry about because it's not being done right. That's what all the media sells us. We live in that culture. And we are by nature discontent people. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? Adam and Eve, here's the garden. Every tree is yours. Eat, eat, eat abundantly, enjoy. Just don't eat that one tree from that one tree. And what did they want? They just wanted the one. They wanted the one they didn't have or in the abundance that they did have. That is, they set their minds and attention on what they lacked rather than what they had been given. And they were led into sin. And so we have become uh, their children. It's in us. It's in our flesh to not be grateful. We live in an ungrateful culture. There's a part of us that kind of likes to complain from time to time, right? Things aren't going well for us. We, we, we're, we're down and we say, come down with me, right? Be, be down here with me in my complaining. Complain with me. Complain for me. We, we, have, we have that right sometimes we nurse. It's difficult to develop a grateful heart. There are so many forces working against you having a grateful, thankful heart. But, you know, there's also something inside of me that says, no, I, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be bitter and ungrateful. I don't, I don't want to end like that. I want to be filled with gratitude and as a result have God's peace and God's joy. And I want to infect others. That's who I want to become. So uh, where do we start? I'll give you just a couple of ideas. First, make a choice this week. Just start to cultivate that habit by practicing this week. Uh, for me, it helps to write it down to say it, to speak it, to pray it. Just develop the habit. Just start the habit. When I was at that nursing home, there was, uh, I actually was invited to come and speak by an older lady. Uh, she would go every week and she would kind of lead the whole service. Her name was Nell Shapery and she had recruited a woman, uh, another older woman from Caldwell, Elizabeth Lednicki, who would come in and play the piano and I would give a short message. And I remember uh, Nell would lead in the singing in the hymns every week, and she would let uh, folks uh, make selections, you know, open up for requests. But she always had one that we had to sing every week. Every week we sang one hymn. Man, I, I cannot, countless times I've sung the same hymn because we had to sing it every week. It was Count Your Blessings, right? And she was an older lady at the time, but she would just bounce around the, you know, the whole thing, and she would grab, these people are all sitting in their wheelchairs, right? And some are asleep, and she'd wake them up, and she'd put their hand up in the air, and she'd say, point your finger, count your blessings. And we'd sing, count your blessings, aim them one by one, right? And we'd sing, count your blessings. And then she'd stop and say, tell me a blessing. Give thanks for something. And she forced them, often against their will, to give thanks for something. What are you grateful for? Men and women, believers in Jesus Christ, we always have something we can give thanks for. If nothing else, we have Jesus, right? We have eternal life. So, 
Give thanks. Start cultivating the habit because I promise you it will change your character. It will affect who you become as a person. And then spread the wealth. Your gratitude is infectious to others. So your second assignment for this week, I want you to tell one person what you are grateful for in them. Tell them so you can infect them with this habit that becomes a character, which is gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us. We thank you for your abundant provision in so very many respects, but we thank you most of all that you have given us life that lasts forever in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now you can start actually by giving thanks that I am, I'm letting you out early and it's not going to happen again this semester, but now you get to go early to the restaurant and you don't actually have to go to Luby's. You can go to Cafe Excel because Cafe Excel took over Luby's. So Luby's is gone. Excel is gone. See, I mean, you just, just start and there's all kinds of things to give thanks for, right? So God bless you. Have a wonderful day.